Believe it or not, it's been 10 years since Kevin Mallon came to Ottawa as musical director of 13 Strings. And uh, I know I had the opportunity to chat with Kevin a number of years ago, but it's hard to believe that 10 years have gone by and that Kevin has had his finger on the baton over that period. And uh, I'm delighted Kevin is here to have a chat with us and uh, talk about his Mozart mania, which is coming up to celebrate the 10 years. Kevin, 10 years already. I know. It's hard to believe the time can go, go so quickly, isn't it? Um, but there it is. I've been uh, 10 years at the helm of this really great chamber orchestra, 13 Strings uh, Chamber Orchestra in Ottawa. And, um, you know, following all the up, uh, a small arts organization and the funding and this and that, but we're together. And uh, this is my 10th celebration this year and I chose one concert in particular to kind of highlight that. Mozart, is there a particular reason why you zoned in on that? Well, I think that, that throughout my 10 years the orchestra has developed a very beautiful style in Baroque and classical music. It's a style that is light and um, gives, it, gives the, the quality of music a great finesse and poise and uh, we were going to have this great uh, pianist with us, Janina Field. She's a soloist in a Mozart concerto and I thought make this a whole concert of Mozart and uh, as well as this piano concerto that we're doing with her um, we're doing three they're called Salzburg symphonies but actually they're sort of diverted and the orchestra has played these pieces many times, but never as a set. So I thought this would be a great thing to do in this concert. Right. Um, you mentioned, of course, over the 10 years, what would you say the high point has been for you? Well, I, I think there have been many, many high points. Um, I mean, the board, this, we have a wonderful board in this uh, orchestra. Who, when I came, there was, there was a significant deficit, and over these years, the board have worked to um, get rid of that deficit, while at the same time growing with my plans and going with them. So I have, you know, rarely felt stifled in what I do. Um, we, we use the 13 strings as a hub of activity, and uh, we have done of the orchestra front we did the Matthew Passion a big orchestra we did the Bach B minor mass we just did action um, that played beautifully light can get can even make music of Mozart or Bach which is a really incredible and so uh, in this concert uh, I wanted to sort of a um, by doing the, the whole program of Mozart. Right. But you also mentioned then, you know, that there's ups and downs. Were there any period over the last 10 years where you would say, um, this is a low point as you look back on it, and then as you came out of it, be able to say, well, uh, we came through that one? I think, I think what I've just said, that when I arrived, and it's, it's um, just working, having a really great... Um, partners of the executive director, coming up with great ideas that um, would make a sponsorship happy, happen. So, for example, um, we approached Bell Canada, and they said, no, they didn't 
want to sponsor an orchestra because they were working uh, that juice with a, another organization, Bows for Butterflies, which is um, also did it for the Bows for Butterflies, and we got Bell to sponsor the concert because that was what is there. They're happy in that way. We got the sponsorship. Bows for Butterflies got um, good funding, or good good charitable donation. We had a concert. We got some sponsorship. So ideas like that can really um, solidify everything where you're not going to folks asking for money. You're making a partnership. And our board has been particularly good with that. Um, another great partnership we did was the Institute for the Blind, who several years ago had their anniversary. So we, with them, we applied to the Ottawa Community Foundation, who have been very, very um, generous to us. And um, they funded us to be able to do a stage show going back to the time of Bach and Handel, who both had eye operations from a sort of charlatan. And um, his, na um, his name is Chevalier John Taylor doing eye operations, some successful, like Handel, not, some not so successful, like with, with Bach. We were able to do a stage show around all the music and celebrate the Canadian Institute for the Blind. And so where we got good funding, we did something interesting. And I think it's also where the arts councils want to go, seeing us do stuff like that that's more interesting. Kevin, you've given me an opportunity to be educated. Um, eye, <laughs> eye operations on Handel and Bach. What period are we talking, and what kind of eye operations are we talking about? Well, this is the, the man involved, um, Chevalier John Taylor. I mean, he's on popes and noblemen all over you. We're not sure he was really. So he was the person that sort of invented history. Uh, and uh, so, on the one hand, on the other hand, you know, he was kind of like a showman. So this was a great um, story for us to tell with Bach and Handel on stage, both of whom had had eye operations. They never met during their lifetime, but they're Dominion Chambers. Right. And we also had an actor doing John Taylor. Right. So it was really, really a fun event. And um, I like to do things like that. Like this year, we're doing a concert around Edith Piaf. And we're not just, the singer's not just singing the song. She's always an, also an actress. Her name is Pandora, Pandora Top. She sings the music of Edith Piaf like nothing else. But we're not going to just sing the songs. We're going to have a little tiny sort of three uh, acts through and part of, of uh, Piaf's life. Try to give concerts, of course, but we also try to have good themes uh, inside the concert. You know, being the type of organization that Thirteen Strings does, it view greater flexibility than, say, the musical director at the NAC might have for such things like experimentation or creating a like you've just described. Well, it's sort of apples and oranges, really. I mean, this is a small-scale chamber orchestra, and they are a large symphony orchestra. And they also have um, great innovation, and, of course, it's one of the best orchestras in Canada. Um, so 
so we are doing something different. Yeah. We are performing at the NAC. We're performing in a, in a beautiful church. We're doing stuff that's really in the sort of chamber repertoire, uh, this very big string repertoire, but then we expand as we need to. Music that the NAC doesn't usually do. Um, they're doing big, um, big symphonic stuff and we're doing smaller stuff. So, um, of course, we're inspired by the work that they do at the NAC. It's just, um, they're the leaders, you know, in many ways. It's a national arts center. And I think we, I mean, many of our players play in that orchestra. So that is, is also a great hub of activity. And I don't mean it quite now. I mean more that because the NAC is as you describe it, and 13 Strings is as you describe it, the, were you to want to um, be creative in a project at 13 Strings, would you have the same uh, or more constraints placed on you were to think, were you operating with the NAC? And I'm not saying that as a negative, I'm just saying it more that the big orchestra, because it is the national uh, capital, because it is uh, funded by government, all these things, do you think that would put, make, uh, curtail in a way uh, someone like you, your creativity, uh, or uh, constrain it in some ways? You know, it comes back to the board of directors again. I mean, I've been in this game quite a long time now, and I've, I've worked with many boards of directors. And this one, with the board of directors of 13 Strings, is one of the finest I've ever come across. And I have not felt uh, constrained by any artistic um, enterprise I've put forward. Um, there's very few times that it's just what I want to do is said, no, it's just too expensive. And I can see, really say that the board gets behind all my musical ideas and take a, a, a serious interest in what we're doing. That's the other thing. Board members, oftentimes, in other, my other experiences, organization is doing. Mm -hmm. Board members of 13 Strings are very active. They really know what's going on. There's a fine um, head of the board and treasurer and taken seriously and then that means that what I want can also be taken seriously so I don't feel that uh, any constraints with my work with this orchestra and I don't know if any other orchestra would be better or worse but I have to say I'm very happy with this right so you mentioned you've been um, worked with many uh, boards of directors and you've been in this game quite a while. For those who may not know you or know you that well, how long have you been in this game and where did it all start? Oh my God. Well, you know, I'm, well, I grew up in Belfast and uh, even as a young man in Belfast, I was running different things. I, there was a Belfast Baroque Ensemble and there was the Hardy Ensemble named after Hamilton Hardy and then I started uh, at the Irish Bar Baroque Orchestra, which, did, which sort of floundered, and that name has been used again by another organization, seemed more, more successfully. I started a group in Toronto called the Arabia Ensemble, and uh, it's difficult to find names, right? Arabia was, um, according to Robert Graves, one of the muses sent to proclaim music and song to the world. 
So that was the name of our group in Toronto. It still is, but uh, and we've made over 50 CDs for Natsis, and we've toured to America and New Zealand and Italy, and um, that's been what that's been my like my big baby that I've had over the years. Nice. There was a while uh, when Cork um, was the European capital of culture in 2005 that uh, they started an opera company in Cork and uh, I got the job then of being a musical director of that and that was a really great organization Um, of course the financial woes in 2008 kind of put the end the kibosh as we say to that whole enterprise and so I'm just giving you the outline Uh of many many you know, fairly small to medium arts organizations over the years, all of whom operate on the charitable um, sort of arrangement where you have a board of directors, they hire a music director, an executive director, they then hire, hire the orchestra, and we're all accountable back to the board. And that is the kind of North American model the case. Right. You know, so unfortunately, it's been my experience that, you know, you have great enterprises, but there's sometimes there's just not enough resources behind it. And I feel very sad about that because I've tried several enterprises, worthy enterprises, but there's just difficult, it's it's a small country and there's, there's great artistic enterprise all over the place. And sometimes the government there, like the government over here, they just support everybody the way they want to. Mm-hmm. So, so I've had relationships with boards and grants and arts councils and the whole thing for, you know, 30 years. And uh, you know, I feel I'm fairly experienced with that. And also, to your point, that the board of directors here in Ottawa are really the best that I've come across. Right. So I'm curious, Kevin, then, like when you were at school, um, were you a part of a garage band and uh, or did, did you kind of avoid that? And the other thing I'm curious is when you were working in Cork, did you have a problem being understood and... Un- uh, well, you can understand me here, right? You know, I know. I don't even know if I really have much of a Belfast accent anymore. Oh, indeed, you do. I mean, you do. You. Do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you playing a garage band. I was absolutely crazy about Irish music, so I played the fiddle. You know, when I was a young man in Belfast, I was just crazy. It was the time, you know, the Bobby band was out, and you know, it was kind of cool to be in a band like that. Yep. And we would go around with get concerts and there was lots of underage drinking. And, um, yeah, yeah, that was quite the experience. Now, unfortunately, when I went to school in England, um, a serious kind of music school, it was kind of frowned on to do that sort of music, and I really regret that. Because later on, I went to specialize in Baroque music, and it's very similar to Irish music with the way you do little ornaments and everything. And, uh, And I've gone back every now and again to playing Irish music and I'm just sort of trying to get back there and I myself to doing that. And that was really a wild passion of mine. I loved it so much and sometimes I still have to get those records out of Planksy and, and Paul Brady and, you know, Andy yeah. Irvine and all those guys. I really, really love that. 
Right. Um, and then I was sort of, I went to school when I was 16 in England, and um, I sort of took a lot there. But, you know, in all those years, I used to say that the biggest achievement that I made was getting out of Belfast when I was 16, in the middle of the troubles. Right. But, you know, I, that was a very arrogant thing to say, you know. It was an achievement to get away from the troubles. But, you know, I lost a connection with it. I've been trying to make back ever since. Um, of course, I love going to work in Cork. And it was hard sometimes to hear, to, hear, to understand the Cork accent. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was a challenge, man, I'll tell you. <laughs> the, the, the Republic of Cork. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, but, you know, that, that helped me to reestablish a connection with, with Ireland. In fact, even better than being back in Belfast, because it was a new connection. I made new friends. It's a new city. And, you know, huge energy in Cork, man, you know, great jazz festival. And, you know, we were doing performances at the Opera House, and that was very significant. And so over the years, you know, particularly when you live in another country, you're always trying to have a sense of belonging. And I still want to have that belonging in Ireland, sort of that feel of it, you know. And as well, you can never, after you've moved, you always have a full, you can never have your two feet back in one camp on either side of the Atlantic. Actually, I, I have a feeling that when you move away, you become more Irish. Like you really, you really learn identity. And in this foreign country, Canada, beautiful country, beautiful people, but as much as you want to identify that, there's many things that you'll be part of. There's always a day in the winter when I say, how is it possibly so cold? I cannot understand that. Or in the summer, there's a time when I'm just wondering how the hell it can be so hot. So in those instances like that, you know you'll never be Canadian, that you are Irish. Yep. And you go back home and it's, you know, the greys of the grey landscape of Belfast. As long as it's not that kind of where you where you grew up, you feel your own root. Right. <laughs> and and of course you're right also insofar as that you when you remove yourself or you are removed from that part uh, which is so deep within you where you were born and where you were reared, in many ways being removed from it accentuates all the things that you would tend to, can tend to take for granted if you never move. Well, I've been going back to Ireland quite a lot in the last, well, even the last 10 years, I would go back at least once in the summer to see my mum. And now I'm going quite often, going back to an old time with her. And um, it's curious. To go back to Belfast, you just become a little Belfast boy again. You know, you feel all the kind of... Uh, uh, teenage depression and, you know, you don't want to get out of bed. And, and I, I'm, I'm often lying there thinking, what is this? It's like a fog. Like the, I don't mean outside. That's mm. all, there's also foggy there too. But there's just a, a fog of your childhood. And uh, it just shows that there is a deep connection there, you know. That's who I am, you know. Kevin, it begs the question that I, I assume and I, I would imagine you have spent time and composed music and uh, in doing so what you've just described and that 
feelings that are rolled back and does that stimulate you to, stimulate you to want to create? Well, I, when, I was, when I was a young man, I did study as a composer. But it got rather intense. And making a living as a practical musician sort of took over. But now, a number of years ago, it was funny, I started to kind of dream music again. And that happens, you know, the music is starting to flow. And I started to compose again. Actually, the very funny thing was that started to happen. And then immediately I got asked to write music for this TV series called Camelot. Actually, it was made by the same people that had done, um, what was it, the Henry VIII show that had Killian Murphy in it. What was that called? It wasn't the Irish Rebellion. The Tudors, the Tudors. Oh, the Tudors, okay. Yeah, the Tudors. Do you remember that show? Yes. So that was, whatever company that was, they all said Camelot. It was only one, one series. But of course, it was very nice to be involved. Uh, that sort of stimulated the music flow. I had a concert coming up. There's Mozart concerts. I've also written a piece. Um, it's hard to think about doing a concert where all the rest of the music is by Mozart. And then here you are putting a contribution of your own. But I'll tell you, that's kind of a humbling process because you have, on one hand, studying the great master, Mr. Mozart, for the concert in a couple of weeks. And then on the other hand, you have your own humility at trying to write a piece and realizing we'll never touch that genius that he had. That it's some of these composers, the worst, they were so touched by something greater. And so you go ahead making your own, writing your own music and doing it. It has its own um, inspiration. Hopefully the audience will like it and be touched by it. But you know that you're never going to come come to this genius. And actually, I think the writing of your own music makes you appreciate just how perfect the most music of Mozart is. Um, it's humbling, but it also appreciates who are. So, Kevin, that's a good opportunity for us to remind everybody of the date, the time, and where uh, the, uh, where to get tickets. Uh, we're looking at the Mozart Mania and Dominion Charmer. Yeah. And the date and time? Uh, it is it, February the 18th at 7.30. And the tickets are... Just, yeah, tickets... tickets I think you can go to uh, 13strings.ca. Right. And uh, then I know you have a full program or you have a program planned later on in the year. So after this celebratory of 10 years, what's next on the agenda then with the 13 strings? Well, that's only, we're, oh, this is only, I think, the fourth concert of six. So there are two more to go after this. As we always do a concert on Good Friday which is both uh, a religious program but also a spiritual program. I try to just make it modern-day experience for people to just take a moment to be still and spiritual. But then, you're in a, you know, there are many people who are, are deeply moved by Easter and Good Friday. So you want to um, be tight hearts primarily. So we have a nice, we always have a concert on Good Friday. 
And then we have two concerts left. Actually, it's supposed to be the third concert. Um, we have a concert with a new timpani concerto, which is an unusual thing. That's sort of th thing that I have the opportunity to do here with this orchestra to do something very unusual. And then a Piaf concert, as I mentioned to mm -hmm. you. So if people go to the website, they'll have information about those concerts. And... Uh, and love to see people at them, you know. Before we wrap up, I, I do also want to, you to talk a little about the volunteer work you've been doing recently in Jamaica. Oh, wow. That's really interesting because you know, Austin, that it is extremely cold in Canada um, from December really through to March. Really? And uh, that has been there for me that weather so I thought what I need to do is go on an adventure every January so the first adventure I made was to go down to Jamaica I had a connection there and she plays with the Jamaican the, the, the Philharmonic Orchestra of Jamaica and I was volunteering to take their orchestra and their youth orchestra and work at a college where I gave master classes and then I also took a I conduct, gave a conducting class. And I had beautiful hosts for the whole month in a beautiful house. And then I was able to take some time off and go to Montego Bay. So I met all the kind of top musicians. I met everybody in the sort of classical music world. And, you know, very interesting uh, intellectuals. And then I also had a chance to just go and lie on the beach, which I even can't remember the last time I did. Having an adventure like that is, is really the thing. Actually, that's sort of what I want now. So, it's Kevin, you mentioned, yeah, you mentioned uh, classical music and them together because from a layman's perspective, classical music would not, like, Jamaica is a relatively small population and has its own strong, so how strong is a music world? Uh, actually, that's, that's a real point, you know. I taught at a college there called Edna Manley College. Edna Manley was um, uh, a painter and sculptor, and she was also a big educator. So there's like a university there in her name. And there is a sort of classical music program, but, you know, side by side there is a big program for Jamaican music. And I know that I can sense there's a little bit of conflict there. Um, but... There's enough there, people there that know that even the Jamaican musicians, that they want to learn theory and music and this type of thing. You know, I think that it's, it's somewhat similar to Ireland. Um, Jamaica was, was colonized by the British and everything was, was, they lost everything. And so did Ireland. I mean, mm -hmm. We nearly lost our language and our culture and our music. And of course now it's very, very much reestablished. And I think in Jamaica that's also, they're a very young country. They only got their independence in the 1960s. So, um, of course then there are these, the, the uprising of, of, that's the wrong word, but just the reestablishing of Jamaican music. And that's very rich. You know, I had, I was able to go, the concerts. Reggae music is sort of a little bit uh, out of date now, 
in in Jamaica called dancehall, okay, which is sort of reggae music, but it's kind of gone gone more um, uh, very much with a beat. Okay. The Jamaican sound is very very bass heavy, and you will just hear the bass everywhere. But it's moved on from reggae. You know, there weren't that there weren't that many people. I had to search out reggae actually. But right. everybody's playing dancehall music, that's okay. what it's called. Um, when you mention bass, I have to uh, draw attention to the fantastic concert that you uh, put on recently in Ottawa, where uh, it was with the double bass as the front instrument. Oh, yeah. Something that we was totally surprising and fantastic. I would never have expected a concert yeah. with uh, the double bass as the lead instrument. Yeah, well, in, in Ottawa, there is one of the best um, players of the double bass in the world, uh, Joel Quarrington. I've done th these pieces with him somewhere else, actually down in Toronto several years ago. And I wanted the chance for the audience in, in Ottawa to hear. So it was, that's what I mean, the chance of doing something a little bit unusual. Unfortunately, that concert uh, was on the day that the federal government um, election. So that was tough. You know, we put our date forward and they decided to have the election. I did try to encourage people to, to vote and then come to us. I think some people did. But those are the sort of things that you have to fight against all the time. Yeah. Uh, uh, to government city and things can happen. But yes, that was an example of us doing a program where we can feature Indeed. Well, Kevin, we're going to wrap up, and I want to say thank you very much indeed for taking the time. And let's give the coordinates again. Uh, 13strings.ca is the website. Uh, February 18th is the date, 7.30 p.m. That's Mozart Mania, and it's to celebrate Kevin's 10 years at the helm as the uh, musical director of the 13 Strings and also holding the baton. Kevin Mallon, it's been an honor and a pleasure having a chat. Yeah, likewise for me.